Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slesser, and today, David Feldman, the great statistician, stats guru, official scorer, joins us for his uh, semi-regular appearance. David, we, it seems like we always have stuff to talk to even in this offseason. Uh, the A's don't have actual much news going on, um, but we haven't spoken since uh, I think the World Series was completed. It was a very good one. I was hoping it would go seven games. Of course, it went six, but nice evenly matched. You know, I think those of us that are in and around the A's team a lot always kind of um, draw a lot of parallels with the Rays because they're run in very similar fashion. What did, what did you think of the Rays run in the World Series? Yeah, it was a really good World Series. Exciting games, uh, interesting strategy, lots to talk about. Uh, for the A's, there's got to be some jealousy about the success the Rays have had, you know, especially in the postseason advancing. I mean, they've gone to two World Series now. Uh, and the A's still haven't been back to the World Series since 1990. And you look at the A's, the 90 A's were the team with the highest payroll. right? So as they've now been in this low payroll thing, they've not been able to advance in the postseason to the World Series, and they have to look from afar and see the Rays basically doing it with even a lower payroll and going now to their second World Series. That's got to sting a little bit. Yeah, you'd you'd think that that's the case. Um, You know, the disparity in the payrolls between those two World Series was extraordinary. You know, the Dodgers with the biggest payroll, the Rays with one of the smaller ones. Um, And, of course, everybody was talking afterwards, after Game 6, about the Blake Snell decision. Where, Where did you stand on that one? So I, I, watching the game and seeing it happen in real time, I like this is a terrible decision. Right, this guy is dealing, <laughs> right, and, and you could see it coming. But here's the thing that people I think have already forgotten: in Game Five, Clayton Kershaw was dealing, dealing. He got out of the first and third, nobody out jam with with the steal home. Comes back in the fifth inning, goes one, two, three in the fifth. Goes out for the six, retires the first two hitters on two pitches. He's got four two leads, six innings. This is Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw's going to the Hall of Fame. And Dave Roberts takes him out. And it was it was planned. They had talked about before the game, I saw it on the pregame shows, that Clayton Kershaw would face probably twenty one or twenty two hitters. That was it. After he retired that second guy in the sixth inning, that was his twenty first hitter, he's out of the game. And the Dodgers bring in Dustin May. And I'm sitting there again. First, Dustin May had been terrible. He had been just like Anderson for the Rays. He had been terrible. And they brought him in, but he got the job done. And the Dodgers win the game. And, yeah, there was some talk about taking Kershaw, but it kind of just passed on because the strategy worked. The Rays do basically the same thing. It was sort of scripted that Snell was not going to go through the lineup a third time. And it blows up in their face, and it you know it's all over. So it, it's interesting to me because, yeah, I hated both decisions. But one decision with Kershaw worked, and the one with Snell did not. Yeah, I hate both, too. I don't like this um, scripting to such a degree 
that you really take the decision out of the manager's hands when a guy is dealing. Uh, you know, and depending on the, the part of the lineup, sometimes it really makes no sense. Uh, and in both of those cases, I didn't think it, it made much sense, nor did the replacement make much sense. Um, and having have to say, having covered the Magic, Orlando Magic in the 1995 uh, NBA Finals, Nick Anderson's <laughs> need to not take part in postseasons for Central Florida teams. That's all I'm saying. That's, um, I'm still a little scarred by the whole Nick Anderson experience. So. You know, for our for our listeners who weren't around 25 years ago, maybe you need to tell a little bit of the Nick Anderson. Oh yeah, he, missed, Magic he missed about a zillion free throws in overtime and double <laughs> overtime <laughs> at home in game one, which is also super fun on an East Coast deadline. I have to say, eight o'clock start, double overtime. Um, yeah, not not that we were all. I spent. I must have written about 17 stories that year about how Shaq can't make free throws, and then it was freaking <laughs> Nicky Anderson who couldn't make free throws on the when the game was on the line. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, definitely and, a scar. So scarred, so scarred. So, what is the difference, do you think, between the Rays and the A's when it comes to going deep in the playoffs? You know, and this might sound a little odd, but the pitchers, the pitching staff for the Rays, have been younger than the A's and maybe just at the end of the season their relievers are just a little fresher uh, could it be something like that I mean it's it's hard to tell I mean the A's have such bad luck in the postseason where it seems like things happen that are out of their hands just craziness that happens but for the Rays been pretty consistent I was I was at the Rays in the playoffs for TBS in 2010 and 2011 uh, and they lost both the division series to the Rangers that year um and you could see, though, that the, how the team was built, it was not a mixed match of veterans and young players. It was pretty much all young. And except for Charlie, Charlie Morton with this Rays team, and maybe Kiermaier, who's still kind of considered a younger player, um, this is a very young team as well. So maybe it's just the youth factor that they don't know any better um, and they don't feel any stress. It's really hard to put a finger on. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, the last few times, you're right. For the A's, it's mostly been some big mistakes or bad luck in huge situations but in the recent years it's been not hitting with runners in scoring position uh and the the Rays seem to by and large avoid that um so maybe a slightly more versatile lineup than the A's because um, that's really been um the A's Achilles heel I think in the, the last few few seasons at least I, I mean the one game wild cards I mean we can almost toss those out I think you know losing three of those in a, in a row I mean spread out over a couple of years but uh yeah that, those are hard to really evaluate all that well so uh we've now come to the postseason awards we've only got the rookies in so far but Sean Murphy uh finishes fourth Jesus Lazardo gets a vote um, and, you know, I, th I think pretty good. We got the managers being announced later today as we're we're taping this on Tuesday morning. Do you have any strong feelings on on some of these postseason awards or the finalists, which were announced last week? Yeah, I was you know I was, I was thinking of looking at the managers today because of um, obviously that's that's the next award up, and you have one manager who's not even with his team anymore, and it's Renteria with the White Sox, and we've seen that before. We've seen a, a manager win manager of the year and not be brought back the next year and that was Davy Johnson with the Orioles uh, so it wouldn't be out of the realm for him to win um, I'm trying to pull it up here the uh, the candidates so 
we have Kevin Cash, Charlie Montoya, and Rick Renteria for American League. And, and obviously, they all did a great job. But I think what Charlie Montoya did, he, he took a team to the playoffs who never played a home game. I just and to deal with what they had to deal with, not knowing where their games were going to be played, uh, the schedule changes that they had to endure, and the team that they had. I mean, yeah, they had some, you know, they had many sons of, of great players, but you didn't know how the subs were going to play, and they all came through. So for me, I think in the American League, Charlie Montoya would be my, my vote for manager of the year. Yeah, all pretty deserving. It would be hilarious, you know, really, if uh, <laughs> it went the one way, but it, it, it probably won't. But speaking of which... Um, the White Sox continue to be in their news. Obviously, the the successor winds up being Tony La Russa, which I think was a shock to everybody, really, uh, although apparently Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox owner, made the decision to go back to Tony La Russa, who started his managing career there, but is you know now in his, what, mid-70s? And uh, it was reported yesterday, actually had a DUI earlier this year and was charged the day before... Uh, the managerial um, job was announced. What do you what do you make of that move in general? And then kind of this this latest uh, bit of news. Yeah, the the DUI arrest that that's not good at all. Um, and, and for them to know that and this took us through with the hiring, it's it basically tells me that they were going to hire him no matter what happened. At that point, that was what the White Sox wanted to do. It it strikes me as odd for a lot of reasons. Um, one, that he's been that out of the game for so long as a manager. Now, yes, he's been in front offices of the, the Red Sox and the Angels and the Diamondbacks, um, but that's different than managing the game. And his last time he matched was 2011. And we know the game has changed. Now, I'm not saying Tony's not going to be on top of the changes. He is. Tony's a baseball lifer. He's going to be on top of everything. And strategy and, and statistics. I mean, look, the A's were at the forefront of statistics when Tony was the A's manager. Um, so this is nothing new to him. But what I think is new to him is how you deal with the players themselves and the, the role of the manager in the clubhouse is very different than when he was in charge. And that's what he was. He was in charge. Um, the clubhouse was his domain, uh, and he was the general. That doesn't go over very well anymore. Yeah. And it's not just on baseball. We see this on college campuses with head coaches as well. It's changed. The way you react to your players has changed. And I think that's what's going to be interesting to see with Tony. I, it's very different. Um, you know, it's, it's talk about these personalities. And, and Tony had to deal with personalities and, and Ricky and Jose. Well, you know what? Tony didn't get along all that great with Jose and Ricky. No. Um, so this is going to be a problem. I think his relationship and the way he deals with the players is my biggest red flag yeah yeah it's i look i am not ageist i thought dusty baker was a an inspired choice and the right choice for the astros for sure but you're right he has been tony larusa has been away from the field as a manager for a very long time um you know and uh i don't know it's it's interesting there were an awful lot of really good candidates some of whom didn't even get an interview with the White Sox, yeah. which was a head-scratcher. You know, A.J. Hintz winds up going to Detroit, and certainly I know there's there's baggage there, too, um, with, the, with the Astros cheating scandal. But, you know, he doesn't even get an interview um, and uh, really kind of like one token minority interview. Uh, it just not handled all that well, really. 
handpicked and it was I, I guess obvious to everybody within the White Sox all along that was going to be Larusa. So interesting, such a good young team. You know, it obviously we all saw them play against the A's in the the first round of the postseason. Really, an exciting team. I think that has a very bright future. So you'd kind of think like you know get a hot name or somebody who's really forward thinking. You know, a Kevin Cash type or something. And uh, no, that's they, they went completely the opposite. So uh, yeah, that's fascinating to me. Um, a lot of stuff going on with the minor leagues right now. None of it official. Major League Baseball is essentially taking over the minor league operations. Uh, most teams are expecting to lose two teams, as I've reported. The A's will be losing Vermont, and they expect one of their two Arizona rookie teams. They'll be swapping Beloit for Vancouver, as I reported. That's not none of that is official, but uh, that that is my understanding and has been for for about a month here. So, um, what do you think about all of this, particularly the contraction of the minor leagues? Uh, you know, and we're just assuming that they can even play next year. Yeah, it's it's sad, honestly, especially for the communities who have these teams. Excuse me. I mean, minor league baseball in, in some of these small towns is, is what the small town is all about. Um, and it's just, it's a gathering place and eventually, hopefully we can gather again. And, and those are places you want to go. And, and, you know, also the players and you're keeping these players dreams alive. Um, and you never know the diamonds in a rough that you're going to find. But to me, it's just, I don't know the financials behind it. I don't know all the reasoning. I just know that it's, it's, from afar, it's sad to see these towns lose their, their minor league teams. There's something very romantic about it. Um, you know, for the A's to, to go to Vancouver, if that does happen in Canada and this time, I don't know if that's a real smart move. Um, it's pretty hard to get across the border at the moment. Um, I just, I, I don't, yeah, it, it's just sad. For me, I always want more baseball, not less. And what we're seeing now is going to be less. Yeah, how does this affect development, too? I mean, this is, you know, if you're, you're talking about a big number of players and coaches that will, you know, no longer be with organizations. It, you know, some of the A's furloughs were um, some of the people that would be needed to run some of those two extra teams. Yeah, and that's the jobs as well and employment and, and the opportunity for, for players. It's just all just. I don't know. I, again, there's. You hope there's some reasonable reason behind it, and they have a plan of why they want to do this. As, as you say, I mean, especially Major League Baseball just wants to take over minor league baseball. It's just from from our viewpoint, that's what it looks like. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, they I think must have a reason. Right said it. it. Yeah, I don't think it's a. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. <laughs> We're taking over. We're taking over. Yeah, it's. You know, it was funny. I was talked to our friend Josh Shushan, who calls games for the Albuquerque team. Um, and it was it was interesting hearing him talk about how important that team is to Albuquerque. Um, and, and minor league baseball, for those teams to be supportive, the towns have to support that team. Right? That's what they. That's how those teams make their their money is people actually come into the game. And it really is this community gathering for it. And for me, I've always been here in the Bay Area in a major league city, so I haven't experienced that much. But to hear someone talk about how important those those teams are to those towns, you know, I've read a lot of stories, and you can imagine what it's like and how important that is. And now for that to be gone, it's just in this, especially in this year of 2020 and everything that's gone on, just another stake. 
uh, into these people's hearts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, so many bad things going on this year, you know, it's hard to really kind of pull out anything and say, this is worse than another, but, um, you know, I just wonder about the ramifications for development and some people that'll wind up without opportunities who, you know, maybe would have worked their way up late bloomers, later round picks, uh, you know, the draft will obviously wind up being, um, smaller, I'm sure, uh, a lot less money. Uh, it's teams are looking to cut costs. I think we all get that, but, um, it's not, it's not a good development for baseball in my idea, but you know, the independent leagues will probably be more robust. There certainly will be some ballparks available and you hope some of these small towns that lose affiliations with teams wind up maybe with some, you know, fun independent leagues that, that potentially could flourish out of this, uh, and maybe a whole new dynamic there. That would be wonderful. We'll be back in just a moment with more with David Feldman. But here's a reminder that you can find all of the San Francisco Chronicles A's coverage at sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Do we have any sort of, um, I don't know, signals so far about what this free agent market might look like this offseason? It's so uncertain. Teams don't have money. A lot of teams, including the A's, are crying poor, Um, you know, especially after cutting huge numbers of of staff. The A's cut, you know, upwards of 60 on their business side, not as many on their baseball side. They managed to save more than 90% of their baseball ops people. Uh, but still, it's it's significant. They will wind up being down probably close to 100 people when it's all said and done from where they were before. So you get it. But, you know, very few qualifying offers. The qualifying offer this year was at $18.9 million, which is hefty if you're a team that's not had income all year. Uh, and uh, one free agent contract has been signed so far. Robbie Ray on an $8 million one-year deal. Uh, are we going to see mostly one-year deals? What are we going to see here, David, do you think? That is a huge question. I think you, you will see some of the um, mid-range free agents, I think, sign one-year deals because I don't think the big, big money is out there. Um, so I don't think you're going to see some of the, the middle, like somebody like Robbie Ray, who's only 29 years old, um, so he could be a part of somebody's rotation for the next four years. I don't think anyone's ready to make that commitment to a four-year deal with big money this year, not knowing what your revenue is going to be in 2021 and going forward. Uh, I think your, your top free agents, um, and there are, it's, it's not a great free agent class, um, but I think somebody like Trevor Bauer is still going to be able to cash in. I think he's a known quantity that they have no problem giving him a long-term deal for a lot of money because they feel he's going to be worth it. And that's one of the reasons the Reds we're able to offer him the qualifying offer um, at 18.9 because Trevor Bauer is probably going to get that on the free agent market. Now he actually declined it already. Um, but for the Reds, that was, that was a good gamble to take. I don't really understand the Marcus Stroman 
that the Mets offering him the qualifying offer, yeah. a guy who sat out the year. Um, he's also 30 years old. I don't think anyone's paying him that much money, not this year. Um, why take that gamble to spend that much money uh, on Marcus Stroman? Now, the Mets now with their new ownership and the amount of money they have, who knows, that could blow everything out. I'm, who knows what they're going to do. Um, but the Giants took that gamble with Kevin Gaussman. Kevin Gaussman's not going to get $18.9 million on the free agent market. Um, so I'm not really sure what's, why they felt that they needed him to come back. I think there's just too many question marks. I don't, I don't know what the market's going to bear. I just don't see, again, for the, the mid-range free agent, long-term deals. I think one-year deals are probably going to be more of the norm. Yeah. Um, I still think Liam Hendricks probably gets a multi-year deal somewhere. You know, some team that really needs a lights-out closer is going to throw some money at him. I don't know about Marcus Simeon. I still think potentially the A's could lure him back with a one-year deal. Um, they can't pay him nothing. You know, they've, they've got to make it worth his while for sure. But I don't. I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility. If not... We're looking at the other free agents because I, I think it's safe to say the A's probably don't have an everyday shortstop answer in their organization right now. They've got some coming, but they need another year or two. And Chad Pinder could play there, but I'm not sure. And he's an everyday guy. I just don't think they have an everyday guy on their roster right now. Do they go to the free agent market? Do they try, try to trade for Lindor? <laughs> what do they do? Yeah, you know, Simeon's an interesting case because I think if he's going to go on the free agent market this year, he needs to sign a multi-year deal and cash in because next year all the shortstops come on the market. Yep. All right, Baez, Lindor, Carlos Correa. I mean, now you're you're going to be pushed down. So if you feel you're going to cash in this, I think he has to do it this year. I don't think that market is going to be there for him because if you're really waiting for a shortstop, you're probably going to wait for next year if you're going to spend big money. So he's in a really interesting situation, and it might actually work to the A's' favor that they can find him to a multi-year deal and maybe a little bit less that he would get what you would think he would get. But because of the market he's going into this year and possibly next year, that might be his best option. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And then if he decides to sign elsewhere, the A's go to the – the free agent market for shortstops is Didi Gregorius, Hamilton Simmons, Freddie Galvis. Um, you know, those guys really excite you. No. So it could be more they're going to look to trade for somebody or think outside the box, which is something that the A's do very well, um, using what they have for trade pieces. And that's where Stephen Biscotti comes in because I think he is a very attractive trade piece to a team who needs an outfielder that has cost certainty attached to him. Um, it's going to be interesting. I just don't think Simeon can do a one-year thing because I think next year there's not going to be any money on the table for him. Yeah, I keep hearing agents say that they think there will be a lot of two-year deals with the second year being kind of the big year with the understanding that players know next year is potentially going to be quite down for revenue. So, you know, say just theoretically, I'm not naming any player uh, in general, but say – you might be generally worth $10 million in, in a season. Okay, so maybe next year you take seven, and the following year you take 16, something like that. Right. Um, I think we could see some deals that look like that. Um, and I actually do think that there might be more two-year deals that look like that than one-year deals. And if that is the case, I think that's something Simeon, I think, would have to look at. And again, working in the A's favor, something they could possibly offer him. Um, 
if he's willing to do that because the A's need a shortstop. Yeah. And if the A's feel their window is still open, you know, we know the position players that are coming back, the two mats, hopefully Matt Chapman is healthy. Um, your outfield with Loriano and, and Canna and again with Piscotti, Sean Murphy, um, you still have a really good offense. Chris Davis comes back, um, but you need a shortstop. Yep. So if the ACL window is still open, I think that in a two-year deal, if they can get him to agree to that, sort of unbalanced, like you said, yeah, I think that makes sense, and hopefully something the A's could possibly make work. Yeah, two years and an option, maybe something like that. Um, and then if you're the A's, really all you need to do is maybe go out and get a couple of relievers, and there are a zillion relievers on the market, and those are they are not going to be that expensive. You can probably pick up some pretty decent veteran guys, you know, along the lines of what they did with Petit and Soria. And I've got to think that Petit is, still remains pretty high on their list. Um, but, you know, guys like maybe Sergio Romo, those guys are kind of on the back end of their career, but still with some, you know, wiles and guile and um, ability uh, that the A's maybe hope that they could bring them the best out of. But, I mean, you, I'm just looking through the lists of, of relievers, and there so are dozens on the open market, uh, and you know the A's can pick off some decent ones no matter what those, that market look, looks like. So to me, Simeon's the key. And yeah, then maybe the window stays open for another two years, and then at the end of that, you've got Nick Allen or Logan Davidson or, um, you know, but maybe even Poussin ready. So uh, I, I kind of like that idea, and I, I certainly hope that that's what they're considering. So how do you think... David Feldman, that this season is going to be remembered. You know, obviously it was uh, as unusual as they come. Everybody everywhere is dealing with this pandemic, um, and we saw how the other sports did. How did baseball do? How will this season be viewed? Yeah, I think it's going to be viewed as an aberration when we go through time, when we look back in 20 years, when we look back in the 2020 season. I Dodgers, legitimate World Series champion. I think the postseason is all pretty legitimate. I don't think anyone's going to question that. Um, I just think but the season, the 60-game season, and when we look back in history, we're going to go, well, what was that all about? Um, and for fans who remember it, all their memories on TV. They didn't get to be in the ballpark. They didn't get to feel any of it. Um, you and I were lucky enough to attend games and at least see it and be a part of it, but for everyone else, all their memories are on television. It's so odd. They didn't get to really be a part of anything, you know, in that, in that group way that happens, you know, think back to 2012 and the Bernie lean, right. And call me baby and these ballpark events that happen as a group. And we all experience them together. Um, you don't have any of that for 2020. There's going to be no memory like that. And I think that's, that's why this season is going to kind of fade in, in a lot of people's memories. Uh, when we look back in 20 years, it's just not the same as any other baseball season. I'm a happy baseball was able to play a 60 game season, get through a full postseason, almost get through the last game of the World Series before uh, COVID-19 wore its head at us. Um, it was amazing that it did, but overall, I, I just I feel bad that I don't think really fans are going to have any memories of this because they didn't get to experience it. Yeah, it was weird, and as I, you know, we've discussed the the feeling in the ballpark with no fans was so strange. It felt even with noise pop, piped in, even in the playoffs, there were times it still felt like here's two teams practicing or something. That that was more the vibe. Uh, it was it was very strange. But the one thing I think that will come out of this is 
boy, do players across all sports appreciate fans now. Even fans of other teams. I think they would tell you, like, hey, you know, bring on the worst road city, you know, Philadelphia. We'll take it. Like, just to have fans in the seats. You know, yeah. you want to play in front of everybody. You want that vibe. Good good or um, maybe difficult. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, Chris Bassett said, right, like, very early on, like, wow, we were taking the fans for granted. Um, we really missed them. And I think that was kind of universal in, in all sports. So we are now really into the off season. Uh, I saw a little meme kind of thing going around the other day about, you know, here are nine baseball movies, which three do you save? Uh, what are your top three baseball movies for people as we go into, into the oh, off season? There's so many baseball movies um, and great ones. For me, um, I guess it kind of tends when you're growing up and when baseball really hits home, but um, Field of Dreams was, was number one. I know a lot of people find it way too smalty. Um, but I had read the book, Showless Joe, and loved the book, and then see the movie. And, and Ron Hassey has a cameo flying out the center oh, field. Oh, that's why. Park. I see. So <laughs> that, that's a big part for me. So I, so I definitely love Field of Dreams. Um, I would love Bull Durham if you could cut out all the Susan Sarandon parts. If you could oh. just edit all that out. I, I would really enjoy that movie. That's my number one, um, Feldy. So you're gonna have, we're gonna have to fight uh, again. I just I you know if you if, trust me if you're watching just fast forward Hope parts brilliant movie. Um, <laughs> uh, won't be out for me. Um, Look of Her Own. Good. I just you know I thought it was. I remember going to a theater in San Francisco. We we, we had a bunch of people. And we went to see it and a group experience. I remember going to theaters, what that was like, and just this joy, walking out with pure joy, and it was so well done. And you know, even today, they still you still see the arguments pop up: did Gina Davis drop the ball on purpose or not? And people are still arguing it. Love that. Yeah, well, you know, you know, it's we we uh, follow Gina Davis closely around here, uh, <laughs> and I remember when uh, you and I were both in uh, Baltimore, and she was filming. Uh, uh, throwing out Madam the first president. pitch when she, yeah, when she had that, uh, what was it called, commander in chief, when she played the president. Yeah. Um, and so of course I had to wander over and talk to her. Uh, but my think, I think my favorite thing was when A's players started to come out to stretch or warm up, and they saw her. Um, Jason Kendall stopped and went, Jody Henson, like great, like greatest, greatest catcher ever, or something. And Houston Street came out, and went Jody Henson, like they all, like they all knew league of their own. So. I'm going Bull Durham, which I absolutely love. Just, um, you know, so such real baseball conversations, the funny stuff. Just uh, really, uh, I've always just loved that movie, including Susan Sarandon. Come on, it's Louise. Um, oh, man, she's and, so uh, annoying. It's just, you just want to say, just stop talking. Just, <laughs> just stop talking. You're terrible. Uh, and, and then League of Their Own, uh, and of course Major League. I really debated between Eight Men Out, which I absolutely love, and it's a yeah. phenomenal movie, but you know, Major League's a classic and still makes me laugh every time. It is. It's so funny. Uh, you know, for the way back, I love Damn Yankees. Right? It's, it's a yeah. musical, but it's based on a book. Again, I love real baseball books, and it was a book called The Year the Yankees Lost the Pennant. And, uh, Again, it's brilliant. It's fun. Gwen Verdon's in it. Uh, Ray Walston, Mr. Hand from Fast Times. He plays the devil. Perfect casting. If you can't get Ray Walston, you have to get Bill King. He's the only one who else could play that role. <laughs> um, so I love Damien. There's another movie 
uh, that I that I can't stand. Uh, my my least favorite baseball movie. I see. And uh, I think you have an idea where I'm going with I it. Do, I think I do. Uh, it was for the love of the game. Ah, oh, you were going to say that ever. they stole your idea. They stole my idea, and, and, and people have had heard the story. I think they need to hear it. Is uh, Susan and I went to lunch with one of Susan's friends who worked in development. And he was at Universal at the time. At Universal, yep. At Universal. And we were talking about baseball movies, and they mentioned something about you know, your friend said that they were maybe looking for another baseball movie. And I said, well, I've always had this idea. Yes. I've had this idea since high school. And an idea about a center fielder, like in the seventh game of the World Series, and he's aging, and bases are loaded. You know, the drama, game's on the line, World Series on the line. There's a high fly ball, hits a deep center in the gap, and he's got to chase after it. And as he's chasing after it, the whole movie flashes back from his career, from how it started, from being a star, getting to this point, and then what, does he catch it or not sort of thing. Um and your friend kind of, he said, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, and moved on. And then, what, about a year later, they announced this movie about a guy pitching a perfect game, and as the game's going on, he's flashing it back through his career. And what movie studio is putting this out? Universal? Come on. Yeah. That's too coincidental. I, I think you should, be, you should get a cut of that, I think. Uh, my friend Curtis, I've just got to say, has continually denied thieving David Feldman's movie idea. But... <laughs> It seems a little suspicious. I, I do have my doubts, much as I love him. Uh, yeah. 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 You know what? There's some... Uh, here's a fun one for A's fans, if you haven't seen it. And Giants fans, too, actually. Um, there's some. It's a little bit slow in parts, but Player to be Named Later, which really focuses on Marco Scudero when he was a minor yeah. leaguer with the Indians, is fascinating. Um, Sugar, another baseball documentary that's tremendous. So um, those are those are two. That, that I, I would also kind of slide right, in there. And it, speaking of Major League, I don't know if people are watching Ted Lasso on um, Apple TV. Uh, it's terrific, and it's exactly the same plot, essentially, as Major League, but with an a American football coach going to coach soccer in London. It's absolutely delightful. Um, but yeah, speaking of stealing... Bill Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, Bill Lawrence, exactly. Speaking of stealing movie ideas, that is... It's made, <laughs> I was five minutes in, and I was like, wait, this is the plot of Major League, right? <laughs> so I got the one movie that, that I, I loved, and this is a 1990 movie. I don't know how many people have seen it. Um, I don't even know if it's available, but take a look. It's a movie called Pastime, and it came out in 1990. It was uh, set in 1957 in a low-level minor league team in California, and it's about an older aging pitcher and then a young black pitcher, and about racial tensions and you know the old guy taking the young guy into his wing I, I just thought it was really well done um i just i remember it I, I remember seeing it a few times and just thought this was a really good baseball movie it sort of had a soul and a heart of baseball and what it was like in, in the 50s uh playing in the minors I, I thought it was really well done it's a movie called pastime well, i'm gonna check that out it's funny, neither of us, you know, being working around the A's as much as we do, neither of us mentioned Moneyball. Uh, it's fascinating. I sort of don't really even think of it as a baseball movie. I think of it more as a business and personality kind of movie. And for me, just the sheer uh, horror of the depiction of Art Howe makes it kind of a difficult one for me. As great as Brad Pitt is as Billy Bean, and he is, absolutely nails him. 
uh, I remain astonished. They made a really watchable, enjoyable movie out of a what is a business book, um, but it, it does remain problematic for me because of the the way Art House persona was turned into something that he's not even remotely. Yeah, you know, he's not nothing, nothing even close to that. I remember when we went and saw it the first time at that special screening, and for those of us who were with the 2002 A's. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know if you had the same feeling I did, but it was so hard for me not to watch it like a documentary. Yeah. Right? And thinking, yeah. well, that, well, that's, that's incorrect. That's wrong. That's, that's wrong. wrong. <laughs> they didn't have to pay for sodas in the clubhouse. And like Jeremy Giambi got traded here, not there. And right. Carlos Pena was playing first base right. for the first month and a half. Great um, Houston had left the year before <laughs> under perfectly fine circumstances. Yeah. So it was really hard. And then I remember I went back and watched it a second time. Um, just sat in the theater with my parents and watched it as a movie. I went, okay, this is a really good movie. Um, they did a really good job telling the story. And when people were complaining, well, they didn't mention Mulder, Hudson, and Zito. Like, it wasn't about them. Yeah, either so the That's book. why they're not mentioned. Yeah, the book didn't either. It's, that's not what the movie was about. Um, it was about how they did this and, and finding the inadequacies in the market. And so... Yeah, I think it's a really good movie. It's not in my, my top baseball movies, but it's a very enjoyable film. And like you said, Brad Pitt nails Billy nails Bean Billy. down to the Absolutely food spills on his Like even down shirt. to some of his, his little expressions. I, it just, uh, just uh, it kind of makes me laugh every time I watch it. Uh, so anyway, those are some of our recommendations, and I'm going to go check out Pastime as soon as I possibly can. David Feldman, I'm running out of stuff to binge. Everybody, everybody is, so... It's that time of year to watch some some good baseball stuff. And we will catch up with you again very soon. Thanks, as always, for joining us on A's Plus. Thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus. You can find him on Twitter at DFeldy. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening.